0: Welcome back in Impact Zone Episode 8. The first Impact Zone we've had in quite a while as Brendan and I were talking before the Zoom. The last episode of Impact Zone that we recorded was before Michigan State's COVID-19 shutdown, before the team was slated to play Iowa. Luke Sloan here with Brendan Shabath and special guest Eric Bach back once again. Gentlemen, hope you're doing well today. Trent Valley unable to be here today. Trent's battling a little bit of sickness right now. Uh, but he should be back in the fold here pretty soon. So we're wishing Trent well, but you are listening to Impact is Own, the home for MSU basketball at Impact 89FM for all the latest news, rumors, and stuff surrounding the Spartans. But Eric, Brendan, I'll toss it to you first, Brendan. It's been a while since the three of us have podcasted on this screen. What's going
1: on since then? You know, I think Eric put it best in our uh, text group chat uh, prior to this week that this is just a better bunch. I mean – with my sickness over break, uh, Trent's sick now. Luke, you were sick a while ago. The team all got COVID. We've really been, we haven't gotten into a rhythm yet, but hopefully, you know, we've we've pushed past that and we're all safe and healthy now moving forward and we could get some regular coverage going on. But what's been happening since then is anarchy in college basketball, and it's really pissing me off. And we'll get into that later with four-point play, but Guys, other than Gonzaga and Baylor, I don't know what the hell is going to happen in March. The sickness bug has
0: not hit Eric Bach yet. Hey, don't uh,
2: say that. Hey, <laughs> he's a,
0: he's appeared on this podcast like Trent, Brendan, and I. So I'm not trying to jinx anything. I wish health, wellness, and the best for for one, Mister Eric Bach. But how have you been holding up, Eric?
2: Good, man. My my own basketball season is in full swing now. Ever since uh, ever since we recorded our last one. Um. so I've, I've been on the road. It's just like old times. It feels, feels like old times. I've been all over the state and other states and all over the place, man. That's what I do.
0: We're recording on a Thursday afternoon, February the 4th. We were texting back and forth in our group chat before the episode, but what's the destination in Metro Detroit for tonight's contest? I didn't get
2: to see it. It was Rochester University. That's where I'm going tonight.
0: Brendan, I'm a Metro-Detroiter, and so are you, and I've never heard of Rochester University before. I know
1: Rochester, Michigan. Yes, I've, I've heard of Rochester University. I couldn't name a single human being who has attended.
2: They're an Ooh. NAIA school. In what, WAC, the what's Wolverine their mascot? University.
1: Do you know their mascot, by chance? Uh,
0: the Warriors. Basic. It's probably Washington football team. They'll probably be the Warriors next year, so they're stealing Rochester College's name. Um, this is a basketball podcast, but it seems like all the buzz in sports this week, other than college hoops, has been the big game coming up on Sunday between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady, the ultimate showdown of quarterbacks. We'll get into the hoops here, but I think I'd be remiss as a sports fan this week if we didn't uh, offer up score predictions for the big game on Sunday. I'll go with You first, Brendan. Uh, We'll hit hit this quickly before we actually get into what this podcast is about, but it's a David and Goliath big matchup on uh, Sunday.
1: Yeah, I think uh, the Chiefs, you know, I'm definitely not the NFL expert, much more of a college football fan than pros, but the Chiefs to me look like a new dynasty. I think they could be the next Patriots we see moving forward, following in the steps of Brady. I've got Mahomes over Brady, 42-38, close one, high scoring
2: that you know i want i feel like this game i'm pr- probably the most football guy on this show right now um i feel like this is going to be like the official passing of the torch of like not the goat of the nfl but like you know the the well respected best nfl quarterback from tom brady to patrick mahomes I think that it's pretty remarkable the fact that Brady has gotten them to the, them being the Buccaneers to where they are is remarkable in itself but the Chiefs are just different they they get down and they just they score points in bunches they they're one of the clutchest teams I've ever seen and they just do everything they have to do when they have to do it and I don't see a scenario where the Chiefs lose on Sunday afternoon Sunday evening
0: I'll keep it short and sweet for mine, but I was kind of frustrated after that NFC championship game. I thought, how could Tom Brady possibly win that game against Green Bay, in Green Bay? And because of that, I'm just not going to bet against Tom Brady in this game. I'm going 27-24 Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or Tom Brady's going to get ring number seven, continue his dynasty. So people out there listening, if they like Tom Brady, if they don't like Tom Brady, I think greatest of all time, no doubt about that. But some late-breaking news here as we start the podcast. A large donation has been made to MSU Athletics, and Tom Izzo spoke about that to the media. The majority of the donation is going to go to a new expansion on the football facility, $20 million expansion on the football facility to be exact. But part of that, I can't remember the name off the top of my head on the donor, but the the donor is a former walk-on on the Michigan State basketball team, and he's going to name Tom Izzo Court as the Breslin Center Court, and he's going to name the football building expansion after Tom Izzo. So what do we think about Tom Izzo Court at the Breslin Center? I mean, it was probably inevitable, but still, it's going to be pretty cool to see that on there, probably as soon as next year.
1: Yeah, I think it's a a really good time to name it the Tom Izzo Court. I mean, obviously, this season isn't the best, but Izzo's been here, I think, for 26 seasons now. Uh, One of the Best college basketball coaches of all time, let alone at Michigan State, definitely the best that they've had. And uh, I think, yeah, it was definitely inevitable that he he get the court named after him. I think it's a good time, you know, not too early, not too late. He'll get to coach, hopefully, on the court. Um, And I think it's really great to see I think he definitely deserves it for all that he's done for the school.
2: Matt Ishbia. Ishbia is the guy's name, by the way. Name team. Name team guy. Here's just one thing I need to add there's people on Twitter that are like mad about the fact that Michigan state is cutting their swim and dive program. And yet they have this $32 million donation. People donors choose where their money goes. University will take their money, however they can get it. And, but the donors choose. So if Matt wanted to bring back the MSU swim and dive program, I guess he would have donated his $32 million to that cause. I mean, this isn't me saying that I don't think MSU should find a way to bring back this Women die program because I think they definitely should. However, you can't blame them for not using this money for that purpose, because Matt gets to choose what happens with his 32 million dollars, not the university. So let's just make that clear. But yes, what Brendan said, um, I was already it's overdue in my opinion that it should be Thomas as Ocord at the Breslin Center.
0: I agree. I mean, he was, he was college football hall of famer in 2016. That was five years ago already.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into in this podcast. I'm not sure this year has been a hall of fame coaching performance by Mr. Rizzo, but his career uh, speaks for itself. So yes. I mean, uh, anytime uh, an athletic department gets a $32 million donation, it's kind of eye popping. That's for sure.
0: Tom Izzo has a heck of a signature, so that signature is going to look good on the sideline at Tom Izzo Court at the Breslin Center, but Tom Izzo's team was in action just last night, as we record on a Thursday. It was last night, or was it Tuesday night? I'm going crazy. Tuesday night. It was Tuesday night, but they were on the court at the number eight Iowa Hawkeyes at Carver Hawkeye Arena in Iowa City. The Hawkeyes winning the game 84-78. to The Hawkeyes improving a 13 and 4 on the season, 7 and 3 in conference. They have a big date tonight against the number 7 Ohio State Buckeyes. It's going to be a pretty big game to watch. Michigan State with the 84 to 78 loss falling to 8 and 7 overall on the year and 2 and 7 in conference play, which is a, a, an unbelievable sight for this team. Aaron Henry leading the way for the Spartans in this game, 38 minutes played, almost the whole game, 10 of 16 from the field for 24 points. Joshua Langford, fifth-year senior, he had 15 points as well. Joey Hauser in 24 minutes scored 10 points. And then on the Iowa side of thing, it was Luca Garza all day for them, 27 points in 35 minutes played. Jack Nungey, kind of the backup center off the bench, he had 12 points as well. And then Joe Toussaint, a guard also off the bench, had 10 points. Really good bench production from Iowa in this game but kind of getting into some headlines from this game. Unable to contain Garza with those 27 points. Gave up pretty big-time points in transition and no transition offense for the Spartans in this game, which is strange to see from a Tom Izzo team. With the performance, is Aaron Henry back, per se? And what made this a better offensive effort, 78 points for Michigan State in this game, And then we'll talk about top concerns moving forward after the Spartans third straight loss to start the COVID-19 transition fourth straight loss overall, losing to Purdue Rutgers, Ohio state, and now Iowa. But Brendan, I'll toss it to you first, just with your top
1: takeaways from this game after taking it in. Well, you brought up the question is Aaron Henry back and excuse me. Um, I'm not ready to, to say it yet. Yes, he played great, 10 of 16 from the field, 24 points, uh, the second game-high leading scorer behind Garza, but it wasn't ultimately enough to get them to a win, and he played really well against Rutgers and in Nebraska in back-to-back games and then was absolutely lifeless in the next game. Um, and, you know, I'm just not ready to, to give him that title of back yet, but it's good to see, you know, you're never going to discount a – 24-point performance against the number eight team in the country and just an eight-point loss. But um, the thing that really stood out to me in this game was that Michigan State looked like a Big Ten basketball team. They, it, it, If you watched the game, it didn't seem like they rebounded well. They actually out-rebounded Iowa 42-38. to 38. Um, They were a little more poised on offense. They were knocking down three-point jumpers. Josh Langford was a big part of their offense. And they just looked – a lot better offensively than we've seen this whole season. And that's been a huge struggle. Joey Hauser hasn't gotten going. Their front court has really been just a mirage of different guys playing decent or playing well on any given night here and there. But um, yeah, they definitely made some steps after the COVID pause to get in the direction they want to go. Obviously you, will, you don't want to lose any games, but I was a, a final four contender, a final four favorite They've got, in my opinion, the wooden Player of the Year and Luca Garza, I think many people 's opinion um, and that's that's really not a bad loss. Michigan state's had some bad losses this year, probably five or six out of the seven have been bad losses, but um, that one is definitely not one of them.
0: We talked about Michigan state's offense being better forty one point four percent from three forty percent from the field and just about seventy percent from the free throw line so that wasn 't the problem for Michigan state but Eric, as we get into your impressions of the game, Luca Garza definitely was. I mean, he took 18 shots, made half of them, scored 27 points, 12 rebounds as well. He just was a guy the Spartans couldn't stop
2: all night long. Yeah, Luca Garza is who he is. I mean, we, everyone, everyone knows that. But what I, what I want to talk about is Michigan State. I mean, the, the fact that Michigan State arguably played as well as they had since Christmas – against Wisconsin and I mean that just speaks to the depth of the league too you know Michigan State gives I think that was about all Michigan State could give on Tuesday night in Iowa City and it just wasn't good enough I mean and that's that's okay I mean there there are that's a game where I think Tom Izzo's not that upset about losing but it's it's the Purdue game. It's just falling flat on your face at Rutgers scoring 37 points. I mean, Michigan State scored more points in the first half at Iowa than they did the entire game at Rutgers. I mean, so with the depth of this league, it's just Michigan State has to get the games that they should be able to win, you know, Nebraska coming up this Saturday is one of those games. Penn State the following Tuesday is one of those games. And then the Hawkeyes come back to the Breslin center on Saturday. So if Michigan State can can replicate that performance in Iowa City offensively in these next few games, they might be able to get back on their feet a little bit. I'm not sure if they're still going to make the tournament. I mean a Big Ten championship is out of the question at this point. But Michigan State has a lot has a significant NCAA tournament streak on the line. And, you know, Tom Izzo is not going to want to go quietly and just concede the fact that Michigan State's not going to make the tournament because there's likely not going to be an NIT. Like, the only type of postseason college basketball that's going to be played this year, in my opinion, is probably going to be the NCAA tournament. And so Michigan State needs to find that they got to beat Nebraska. They've got to beat Penn State. And they probably have to beat Iowa, too, if they want a serious chance to win the Big Ten tournament or to get an at-large bid, assuming they don't win the Big Ten tournament, which, by the way, has been shifted from Chicago to Indianapolis officially. Um, all the Big Ten tournament in Lucas Oil Stadium, which is a little weird, but I would imagine it's probably because the Pacers have home games during that time, and they weren't anticipating hosting the Big Ten tournament this year. But um, So that'll be an interesting dynamic, playing the Big Ten tournament in a football stadium. But, you know, Michigan State offensively has to continue that. I mean, Aaron Henry, that was as well as I'd seen him play in weeks. I mean, he was – creative. He did lots of things that just hadn't been happening in the previous games. And Josh Langford made some shots, but I'm still out on him. And, you know, Michigan State still doesn't have a point guard, and that's their problem. Rocket Watts is not a point guard, and A.J. Hogard is not experienced enough and not skilled enough yet to to actually run the point for Michigan State. He'll get there. I have faith that Hogard will be a good point guard someday, but today is not that bad.
0: Michigan State struggled for the most part defensively in this game, giving up 84 points to Iowa, 27 points to Luka Garza, as we mentioned. But this Iowa team is a a team that wins a lot of shootouts and just outscores their opponent. Talking good about the Spartans, they did only allow 29% from three, so the the guarding the perimeter was pretty good. But I would have liked to see them double Garza even more aggressively than they did, especially because Iowa's three-point shots weren't going down. But – Like you said, Eric, this was their best effort since that Wisconsin game on Christmas Day that you called, and they still it still wasn't enough to win. And I think personally, and I'm gonna prompt this question to both of you guys, even though Aaron Henry had twenty-four points in this game, you know, Langford had fifteen points, they both stepped up his scores. It seems like down the stretch, when Michigan State would get stops on the defensive end, they got a couple shot clock violations. You know Iowa missed some free throws, but they would get stops or near stops on the defensive end and come down the court with a chance to tie or take the lead. And there was never really a player that wanted to step up and take that shot. They Michigan State got late into the shot clock in their own regard, and it looked like no one wanted to take the ball and just score. That's considering Aaron Henry had 24 points. I'll ask you this question first, Brendan, but is it safe to say that there's still not a player on this Michigan State team that's going to take the shot when it needs to be taken?
1: Well, I think it's not only safe to say, I think it's correct to say. I think they haven't had a leader all year. I mean, Aaron Henry and Rocket Watts stepped up early in the year at Duke. Henry has had some flashes and some moments of being that guy. And I think if there was a front runner. Uh, to pick for that guy, it would definitely be Aaron Henry. But they, 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 they just really are missing Winston and Tillman. And we've said it thousands of times, and we're probably going to keep saying it until you know the this season is over. But, yeah, it, it's, it's really difficult for them to, to win games like this. And this isn't a game we expect them to win. But if they find themselves in a bad game, in a situation against Nebraska or Penn State, and must win games where they need a bucket late, somebody has to step up. And, you know, they've got eight games left the rest of this year. I think they have to win at least four of them to even be in the conversation for an at-large bid. If they win five or six, they're really going to help themselves. But they've got some tough teams coming up. They've got to play Iowa again. They've got to play Indiana. Uh, Illinois is on the schedule. You know, Penn State just beat, uh, I believe it was Wisconsin a couple of days ago. You know, the, there's, we mentioned there's no off nights in the Big Ten. Michigan State's got eight coming up that they really need to win
2: travel to Mackey Arena, you know, who knows. Do we know if they're going to try to reschedule some of the games that got postponed when Michigan State had COVID, like Illinois, uh, the first Indiana game?
0: I think Underwood said to the media that he really wants to try to get that game scheduled. I didn't hear anything Uh from from Indiana, but Uh, they should try to get that Illinois game rescheduled. Michigan
2: State has room in their schedule. Especially
0: with – Especially with Michigan's status uncertain. You know, we got news yesterday they're not gonna Michigan's not gonna play until February eighteenth. That potentially opens up space further down the line for Michigan yeah. State. So but that's a the game they gotta make up too.
2: We assume that well, Michigan State Michigan State and Michigan still have a second game scheduled on March seventh at the Breslin Center. Yeah. So I would imagine that they probably won't reschedule the first matchup between Michigan and Michigan State. Maybe they will. I don't know. But It's just – I mean, there's still, Brendan, eight scheduled games left. But, you know, Michigan's – at this point, I don't really see the team making the tournament. Like, this is – I mean, if they win, as Brendan said, four of the eight, I don't know if that's going to be good enough. Assuming that they have a somewhat early exit in the Big Ten tournament, you know, it's just – It's difficult for me to see a path, especially considering – I mean, the backbreaker – and we talked about this on the last show. To me, the back – the worst backbreaker was the loss to Purdue. Like, Michigan State had that game and just – I mean, we all know what happened at the end for for Michigan State to blow that game. But the fact that they weren't able to hold on in that game, if Michigan State doesn't end up making the tournament – you can kind of look back at that game as the turning point that kind of set the Spartans' season on a downward trajectory.
1: Yeah, and Eric, I think you bring up an interesting point about rescheduling. The fact that the Spartans have a second game scheduled against Michigan, they probably won't prioritize. Ohio
2: State, too. Yeah,
1: they probably won't prioritize the first one. And that's what I thought when I wrote uh, a piece of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly during the COVID pause is I brought up the idea that Michigan State probably won't uh, try to reschedule this Iowa game that they just played because they have another one later in the season. And I thought Illinois was, they were only supposed to play Illinois once this year. I thought that would be the front runner for the game. You have to get rescheduled and they ended up rescheduling the Iowa game and moving some other already scheduled games around and later in the year. So really I have have no idea what they're going to do. I think they should prioritize that Illinois game. I mean, like we said, there's no off nights in the big 10. Michigan State can be one of those non-off nights for another team like Illinois, Wisconsin, Iowa, and stuff like that. If they can get Illinois on their schedule and pull out a win somehow, that's definitely going to help them if that can be one of their four or five wins of these last eight games to get into the tournament at least.
2: I'm certain that Tom Izzo is, uh, you know, trying to push to get at least that Illinois game rescheduled and probably the Indiana game because those are two home games, you know, those are two games where you don't have to travel and Michigan state historically, but especially over the past few years has not fared well at Indiana. Um, and so, you know, I would think that they would make every effort to reschedule the first Michigan, Michigan state game, because you know, the way, especially the nature of that rivalry and the nature of the team that Jawan Howard thinks he has this year and the team that Jawan Howard does have this year. Um, I would think that he would be in favor of playing that game, especially because it was at Ann Arbor. Um, But, I mean, there is a a winding path for Michigan State to the tournament, but they will need to offensively play as well as or better than they did on Tuesday at at Iowa, you know, defensively too.
0: I definitely think better defensively, I mean, especially on the interior. I mean, we can get into that a little bit more in a minute about some of the interior defenders they have. But I I like to, you know, talking about this rescheduling thing and kind of putting the cherry on top of it, you know, Michigan's not playing right now. They're not going to play for two more weeks. But Juwan Howard's team has built a heck of a resume in a limited amount of time. This Michigan State team, on the other hand, if they want any chance, if they want any prayer at an NCAA tournament berth, you got to think that Tom Izzo is, you know, calling people left and right, trying to get these games rescheduled to try to get a couple upset wins to beef up their tournament resume. You mentioned Indiana and Illinois and even potentially Michigan. You know, these are, these are very good – you know, these are three maybe tournament teams you can argue about, Indiana, Illinois, and Michigan for certain, but they need these wins to boost their resume. So Michigan State, bottom line, needs to play these games – Um, Eric I wanted to ask you a question more in the lines of this Iowa game about Joshua Langford now he's been a really kind of a peculiar player especially on this podcast in terms of the way he's played this year he's had good stretches he's had bad stretches but not necessarily the season that Spartan fans expected from Langford 32 minutes played in this game he did hit on 50 percent of his three-point attempts three of six for his 15 points but he took tied for the most shots on this Spartan team, and he only went five of 16 from the field. It was a decent night for him offensively, but not very efficient, especially when the ball was moving so well for Michigan State. I think there might have been some forced shots that may have hurt that ball movement and potentially getting better
2: shots. Yeah, Joshua Langford, in my opinion, needs to know his place uh, in this offense, and that is to make open outside shots when given the opportunity And, you know, be a leader for the younger players to develop because he could, I mean, Aaron Henry's a junior, but he, Aaron Henry could very much benefit from Josh Langford's leadership abilities. AJ Hogart, especially Rocket Watts, even maybe most so could benefit from Josh's leadership. And I'm not saying that they're not, but at the same time, Langford needs to, in my opinion, take a step back and like figure out what his role on the team is because I think he thinks that his role on the team is bigger than it should be. Like I think he views himself as like one of the focal point scores and maybe he does have to be that because Michigan state is so offensively challenged is to your point Sloan about nobody really taking the reins and, you know, asking for the basketball when Michigan state could in crunch time could take a lead or something on the road but to me the guy has to be Joey Hauser it just has to be and he's just Joey Hauser in my opinion these past few games has been a subpar rebounder he hasn't been physical part of a lot of the def- Michigan State's defensive problems in the front court have been circled around Hauser's inability to defend people his size are smaller and so He's got – I mean, as the stretch four, he can shoot the three, he can put it on the deck, he can get to the rim. He's the most diverse scorer on this team, and he needs to be the guy that asks for the basketball and creates his own shot in that situation, in my opinion.
0: I'll kick it to you, Brendan, after this question, but your answer kind of leads into the next thing that we're going to talk about, and it's the interior defense of this team. I mean, you look at a guy like Garza. You look at a guy like Nunji. I mean, that's over – Almost 40 points between those two guys getting Iowa's main minutes at the five. Michigan State, the cast of characters at the four and the five. You think of Hauser, you think of Bingham, who actually got the start in this game for Michigan State. Malik Hall didn't score, but I thought he was relatively effective. I thought he was on the bad end of a couple foul calls. He Julius was. Marble has been getting more run in this game. Sizoko got three minutes. Kithier, obviously, still in the mix. I thought he had a decent game offensively not defensively, but it's still really concerning. You think of that Purdue game against Travion Williams. You think of struggles rebounding against Rutgers. It's not like a Tom Izzo basketball team to have rebounding problems and not really be able to defend the paint correctly. I mean, there's a lot of things going wrong about this Michigan State team, but it seems like year in, year out, they're a good rebounding
1: team. So it's just, Brendan, a bizarre situation, honestly. Yeah, it really is bizarre and I think especially in Big 10 play if you can't rebound you're not going to have any chance at winning and that's really how Michigan State's been this year. They have no chance to win the Big 10 this year. They've got two they're 2 and 7 and you know they're sitting at the back end of these 14 teams and um I think it's it was really disheartening for me. There was one play I mentioned it in our banter group me with a bunch of us that was one of the single worst transition defensive plays I've ever seen. And it was mainly Marty Sissoko's fault because he's, he's running back on defense jogging and back of his head to the basketball, completely unaware. And Iowa gets an easy in rhythm, step in pull up three pointer to make it to go from like a five to an eight point game or something like that. And I understand Sissoko is a freshman and that's a big game against a big team and I was full of veterans, but that can, that can absolutely never happen from a Michigan State team who prides themselves on being hard-nosed and defensive, and, and there's no way that Izzo can, can have players like that out on the floor that are going to make mistakes like that. And I think there's some light at the end of the tunnel, not in this season, definitely in seasons moving forward. I've looked a lot at the recruits that they have coming in. Enek uh, Boakye, I believe is how you say it. He's a, a strong force down low. Pierre Brooks has a chance to be like a stretch three or four for Michigan State. And if he gets bigger, he can be a really solid addition for them. Imani Bates is on the list of as uh, committed recruits. We'll see if he ever ends up arriving in East Lansing, but that's another tall six-eight player that can stretch the floor. But the front court really foreshadowing at the beginning of the season to where we are now really did it perfectly. I mean, there was no standout player. The coaches really didn't have an idea who was going to be the defensive force. They all were saying Kithier at the start of the year. I really was unimpressed with him for most of this season so far. He's, he's been better of late the past four games uh, defensively and really offensively. I think his game has improved quite a bit. He's making a lot better decisions, but with, you know, Malik Hall is one of my favorite guys and he played well against Iowa, but he goes out and has zero points. You know, Marcus Bingham, he played good defensively. He held his own. He grabbed a couple rebounds. But, again, started the game against Iowa, zero points. You can't have your starting center who's 6'11 with zero points in a big game like that, you know. And give credit to Iowa. They're a good defensive team, one of the best teams in the country, but there's still a lot of room for improvement for this
2: team. Michigan State just hasn't put together a complete performance. Like, if they if they play as well offensively at Rutgers as they did at Iowa, that whole game is – very looks very different and on the flip side if they Michigan State didn't defend terribly at Rutgers but they just couldn't throw it in the ocean you know so it's just it's if it's not one thing it's another and you know these next two games now Penn State Penn State is on the rise a little bit they had so many covid issues on the early part of the season and i think they're past that now and they're finally starting to get into a little bit of a rhythm but Nebraska hasn't played since january 10th and this will be their first game on saturday since then so this is a good game for michigan state to kind of get right on both ends of the floor and try to make one last tournament push i'm going to go on the record and saying i don't think it's going to happen i don't i am saying here on february 4th at 3:41 p.m. that i don't believe michigan state is going to make the ncaa tournament this season however these next two games can be somewhat of a pushing off point for the Spartans to at least make a run. at it.
0: It'd be brand, it'd be a, it'd be similar to a brand new season if they could do it. I mean, that would push them. They're eight and seven, two and seven in conference right now. You're talking about two wins against Nebraska and Penn state, presumably 10 and seven on the season, four and seven in conference. All of a sudden you're feeling a little bit better about yourself. You hit that double digit win threshold, which might be like a little bit of a mental barrier, but kind of wrapping up this Iowa game before we move on, Kind of the last big picture topic, and Eric, you hit on this briefly, but the point guard situation for Michigan State continues to be one where, frankly, they still don't have one. Foster Lawyer was in addition to the starting lineup in this game. Uh, A.J. Hogard did not start. A.J. Hogard only played 10 minutes, only scored one point, only took one shot. But Foster Lawyer started this game, played 18 minutes. Lawyer was one of eight from the field, one of seven from three for five points. Rocket Watts handled the ball a little bit in his 22 minutes, but not as much as Foster Lawyer and A.J. Hogard did. And I guess my personal evaluation of Lawyer in this game is that 18 point, or five points over 18 minutes, I think the half-court offense for him was pretty crisp. I think the ball moved pretty well in the half-court. Defensively, it wasn't the worst game for Lawyer. But the problem is one from seven from three is, is just unacceptable. I mean, he had a all seven of those threes were really good looks. I mean, I can't personally remember one of those looks that was contested. And Tom Izzo even set up a couple plays off inbounds passes for wide open threes from Lawyer, and he still really couldn't sink them. So I'll toss it to Eric first on this one. But in my opinion, the the half-court offense can run as crisp as it wants to. Lawyer, is the book is still out on him defensively, and it probably always will be. But one of seven from three, got to knock down those those wide open three point shots if he really wants to grab this point guard position as a junior because that was just, you know, a couple of those go down and you're talking about a different game.
2: Yeah, I mean that's his role is to make those shots on when he's on the floor, and if he's not doing that, then he shouldn't be on the floor. I mean that's that is his sole purpose. But the fact that Rocket Watts is only getting 22 minutes is telling about where he is and where potentially the relationship between him and Tom Izzo is um, because Izzo has publicly admitted that he's mismanaged Watts and that he forced him into a role into playing point guard earlier this season that Watts was not ready for. And so Izzo has taken public blame for that, but I'm not sure how much that, you know, I'm not sure how much that is really going to help rocket Watts's. uh, confidence moving forward. I mean, it's he is such a key player for this team and he has been Aaron Henry's had quite a few decent games this year and you know Tuesday night at Iowa was one of his best. But he can't do it on his own. He's not a pure enough scorer to carry this team offensively. I mean, he doesn't his outside shooting game isn't good enough and he's a little bit erratic sometimes when he drives to the basket. So If they're relying on Aaron Henry to carry the burden offensively when Joey Hauser isn't making shots, when Lawyer isn't making shots, when Watts isn't even hardly shooting, I mean, that's not a recipe for success. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, Eric, I think you brought up, or you said it perfectly when you said that that's Lawyer's role is to be in there and make three pointers. And if he's not doing that, he shouldn't be on the floor. And I understand Shooters have short memory and shooters keep shooting and stuff like that. But at some point, if you're Tom Izzo, you have to make an executive decision and and pull him from that and try to put somebody else in there. I would have liked to see AJ Hogarth get a lot more minutes. Um, You know, that's someone that I've been pretty high on. We've mentioned that he's not there yet, but he definitely has the potential to be there. He's going to get there in the future, I think. And, you know, lawyer is – it's someone that I'm really 50 50 on. He's a great leader. I think mentally and vocally um, he's a, he's a, he's a terrific offensive player when he wants to be, um, but he's, he's a liability on defense. And again, this is a team that historically has prided themselves on defense has one big 10 championships on their defense. And you can't have, in my opinion, you can't have a point guard leader who, is as inept on defense as Lawyer is.
2: Well, Michigan—it's a trade-off for Michigan State. If they—they they are willing to put up with Lawyer's defense if he's making shots, and when he's not making shots, they have no use for him. So you know, he—if he starts, you said it, Sloan. All—all all seven of those looks were were good looks, and he's got to make more of those than just one. I mean, that's just—I mean, there's no other way to put it. You know he's he's a shooter. He's capable of making, he's capable of making more than seven threes in a row. That's for sure. But he's just got to find a way to translate that to the game if he wants to take over this point guard spot. Because I'm not sure that Michigan State has anyone else.
0: Kind of reshuffling the deck on this game for one final time. Once again, Michigan State falling 84-78 in Iowa City. Before we kind of move on to Nebraska and get to our final points. I'll present my final point on this game first. And actually, it's going to be Thomas Kithier. Thomas Kithier is another player who, you know, Brendan, you, I, and Trent, and the three of us in the last couple podcasts have really gone back and forth with about this year in terms of his role. Should he start? Should he not start? You know, a good screener does good little things offensively, struggles defensively. I personally think that the minutes he got and the way Tom Izzo handled him in this game was perfect. 15 to 20 minutes he got 14 minutes in this game three of three from the field one of two from the line he had seven points he was a lot better defensively and the reduced minutes I think put less pressure on him defensively and those really good little things on offense showed up like there was a a Joshua Langford drive to the basket where he sealed off Luca Garza underneath just a little play I have been a a vocal advocate of the way he screens I think he's a good offensive rebounder I think Thomas Kithier in the correct dose is a good player for this basketball team I think that this should be the blueprint the blueprint for how Kithier has played the rest of the year 15-20 minutes don't put a ton of pressure on him defensively by starting him let him do those little things on offense I think that's the way Kithier should be handled the rest of the year Before we move on to Nebraska, I'll toss it to both of you for any final points or anything we haven't talked about about this Iowa game.
1: Yes, Lon. I think you bring up a great point about Kithier, and I 100% agree with you. I think his removal from the starting lineup was long overdue. Um, I think he's a really good, like, niche player. You know, he seals people off. He screens well. He can grab a a gritty rebound here and there. He grabbed some clutch rebounds from Michigan State that could have led to – them taking the lead or second chance points or stuff like that. But they've seen him way too much this year. He's, he's had, he's in my opinion, he's played way too many minutes. He's Eric mentioned the trade-off with lawyer where lack of defense, you know, we're trading that off for offense. There's not really a trade-off for Kithier. I think he, what he lacks in defense, he lacks about just as much on the offensive end too. He's really a niche type player. That's going to do a couple of the small things, right. That's really going to help you but not someone you need in there for, in my opinion, 21, 22 plus minutes a game. But the the one thing that I have to add about this team, the one bright side is one of the most dangerous things in the world is a man who has nothing to lose. And right now Michigan State has absolutely nothing to lose in the eight games they have moving forward.
2: Yeah, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head about Kithier Sloan. I think, you know, they were saying for the longest time that out of the rotating cast of characters in the front court that kithier might be the best defender and i just don't think that's true i think marcus bingham is at least he's the best rim protector i don't know if michigan state has a true like overly physical guy like xavier tillman was that can both block shots and defend guys like luca garza i mean xavier tillman was luca garza's worst nightmare for three years and isn't it that crazy that Garza that Tuesday night was Garza's first ever win against Michigan state?
0: You know, but, I was just going to make that point on Un- hard to believe considering how long he's been there.
2: Hard to believe, especially
0: because it's h- so hard to play in Iowa city too. Usually.
2: True. Yeah. Michigan state has fared well there the past few years, but anyway, I just Michigan state has got to get their rotations figured out. Like Tom Izzo at this point, I mean, we're on February 4th and he still hasn't figured out the rotations yet. And I'm not saying it's an easy job, and I'm not saying that I have the answer, but the Hall of Fame coach that Izzo is has to figure out a combo that works. I think Malik Hall is underutilized. I think that, as you said, Brendan Kithier is overutilized. They have to find a way to get Malik Hall into the fold more, in my opinion.
0: In the words of Tom Izzo, I'm going to keep rotating until I find a rotation well, and send that he after the Ohio
2: state game.
0: I mean, it, he, I think it really started with that Ohio state game too, you know, Rutgers, they rolled out the same lineup as they had against Purdue and before the COVID-19 pause, but then they really started shaking things up against Ohio state. But I guess this is the final question I'll pose to you, Eric, about the rotation before we move on to Nebraska, because this was a better effort is this what they roll with against Nebraska for certain and probably against Penn State?
2: Yeah, I think so because nobody has, nobody else in the conference has the front court that Iowa does. And that is where Michigan State's is weakest defensively, is in the front court. You know, Aaron Henry is a top 10 defender in the country. Watts is better than serviceable defensively. We've talked about how lawyers a defensive liability Hogard's a better defensive option at the point guard. Langford's a defensive liability, frankly. And Hauser, depending on a matchup, can be good or bad. But Michigan State in the front court defensively is not strong. And, you know, maybe it's for the best that Michigan State doesn't reschedule to Illinois because Kofi Coburn is probably licking his chops watching Michigan State on film. But I think, I think you got to offensively because, you know – the Spartans, Spartans played okay defensively at Ohio State and just couldn't make the shots when they needed to. And the opposite was true at Iowa City. They were making the shots but couldn't get a stop when they needed to. So, you know, are, are teams that aren't as offensively strong in the front court as Iowa is, uh, a la the next two opponents, Nebraska and Penn State, I think that Tom Izzo needs to stick with the rotation that he went with in Iowa City.
0: That rotation is going to have its first chance to kind of prove itself outside of that Iowa game. This Saturday, like we mentioned, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, Eric said this, the last time they played was January 10th against Indiana. The game before that was actually the Michigan State win that snapped their three-game losing streak. So this Cornhusker team saw Michigan State not that long ago on the schedule, but in terms of legitimate time, nearly a month ago. The Corn Huskers, like we said, coming out of the, of a COVID pause of their own, they're four and eight overall, twelfth in the Big Ten. The Corn Huskers kind of led they, leading the way for this Corn Huskers team is their backcourt. Teddy Allen, a good scorer, 18.4 points per game. Delano Banton, who plays point guard for them, is a six eight point guard. He averages about thirteen points a game. And then Trey McGowan's as well. The third starting guard, he averages just about twelve points a game, but he broke out for twenty points when uh, Michigan State traveled to Nebraska. And he's the guy who can be an explosive scorer at times. Both the gentlemen on this podcast today with me will be on the call in some capacity. Brendan will be at the Breslin Center alongside Owen Ozust. Did not pronounce his name correctly, Uh, and then Eric will be back in the studio as the broadcast anchor. But Brendan, what are some keys to this game for Michigan State that? Michigan State can roll over from that first game they won against Nebraska.
1: I think the key for Michigan State is to not let off the gas pedal. They have a chance to prove to themselves that they can put games away. You know, Izzo said it after the last Nebraska win that a 15 point lead has to extend to 30 or something to that extent. I'm not exactly sure what the numbers she used were. And that's what happened at Nebraska. They were up late by double digits. Uh, ended up only being a seven-point lead. That's a trend we've seen this year with Michigan State. They were up 28 on Notre Dame in the second half, only won that game by 10 points. They were up by 15 against Duke in the second half, won that by, I think, six. You know, the, if they get up in the second half, which I think they will, I do expect Michigan State to win this game, uh, they really have to put their foot on the throats and, and not take it off until that final horn blows. Eric, is this a problematic
0: Defensive matchup situation for Michigan State potentially because looking at these top scores for Nebraska, you have Teddy Allen, their top scorer, one of the top scorers in the Big Ten. Aaron Henry will most likely pick him up like he did a majority of the time when these two teams played in January. Delano Banton plays point guard for them, but he is a six-eight guy who also leads them in rebounding. But because he's quick and plays guard maybe Joshua Langford's assignment, but then there's also Trey McGowan's and now you're starting to talk about guys like Bingham potentially having to guard people lawyer and then Joey Hauser at the four too. Nebraska goes pretty small. So are they going to try to rely on their shooting and maybe some mismatches in this game?
2: Yeah. Nebraska is night and day different from Iowa offensively, as far as what, what they try to run at you. But I I think the key defensively to this game for Michigan State, this game will be a good measuring stick test defensively as to where Michigan State truly is because we saw them pretty epically fail at defending a team with a strong front court on Tuesday night. And now we'll see if they can defend a team with a strong backcourt like Nebraska has. And the key to me defensively is Joey Hauser. You know, he needs to be able – he's a diverse offensive player, but he also needs to be able to guard – probably three different positions defensively. And if he's not able to do that, that puts Michigan state in some binds defensively. Cause as you said, uh, Sloan, Aaron Henry will be on Teddy Allen. And after that, it's not clear who's going to be on anyone else. And I think Malik Hall's a good option defensively to try to throw it at Nebraska's point guard, but man, I, it's tough. It's tough because while Nebraska's record isn't good, I'm not sure Michigan State matches up great defensively with them.
0: I think it's also, you know, just a little bit of a note before we get into our predictions. I know this Nebraska team is 4-8, 12th in the Big Ten, 4-8 overall, 12th in the Big Ten, and obviously they're coming off playing and not in pretty much, you know, a month. Essentially, but I think this is still a decent basketball team taking COVID 19 considerations out. I think if they were to have a full crack at this season, you'd see them potentially upset some people. They play, they're deep, they have some decent depth. I think head coach Fred Hoiberg did a good job of going out and getting pretty much an entire roster of transfers. Some who are high-level guys, like Teddy Allen coming from West Virginia. McGowan's came from Pittsburgh. So these are guys who are kind of power five to power five. But this team just has a little bit of an edge to it, too. Like, guys like McGowan's and Allen, they really had that clutch gene in the first game. I know they're going to be neutralized a little bit because of the COVID layoff, but this isn't a game that Michigan – I mean, there's no game that Michigan State wants to overlook, but I think this is one of them included which I'll kind of roll into our predictions because of that COVID layoff. I have a pretty big win for Michigan state in this game, 83 to 69. I think the biggest thing that Nebraska will be lacking in this game is defense. They, that's probably been their biggest problem before the COVID pause, you know, watching them against Michigan state, watching them against Ohio state who they played before Michigan state way back in January, just into the new year, they really have a hard time guarding without fouling And their small lineup has had hard times defending the paint against Ohio State. Guys like EJ Liddell, Justice suing the the Cal transfer. So I think they're going to be a step behind defensively in this game. Michigan State coming off their best game on offense. I think Aaron Henry has 20 points in this game and keeps his foot on the gas. But it's going to be key, like you said, Brendan, for Michigan State to keep their foot on the gas, looking at this from a season perspective. But I just see Nebraska's defense being a little bit slow to the party as being the X factor in this game for Michigan State. I'll toss it over to you, Brendan, for your prediction.
1: Yeah, Sloan, I agree with you that I think it's going to be difficult for Nebraska to really put together a performance that uh, bodes to beating Michigan State after this long, long pause, one of the longer pauses of any team in the country. Um, I still don't think Michigan State is quite there yet to blow them out, though. I do think think they'll get a win. I have them as a 10-point win, 75-65. Uh, The Spartans taking the lead uh, in East Lansing on Saturday. But, you know, we mentioned that it's going to be a really important game for Michigan State. It doesn't seem like it would be, you know, but coming off of a decent performance at Iowa, where they improved in some aspects and still have room to improve in the others, if they can show that improvement in a game like this uh, against Nebraska, one of the lesser teams in the Big Ten, you know, there's a chance that, you know, they they shed a little bit more light on these final eight games.
0: Eric, I'll toss it over to you for a couple quick keys in your prediction for the game.
2: I think, you know, the layoff for Nebraska lends itself to not being very sharp offensively. So I'm going to go a little bit lower scoring than the two of you guys. I'm going to go Michigan State 65-59. I just don't think Michigan State has the, you know, the juice offensively, as, as Brendan talked about, to really blow people out. And Nebraska's a scrappy team, and Fred Hoiberg will have them playing hard. And, you know, I'm sure they'll be excited to be actually back on the court against somebody other than themselves. But, you know, you you take a month off in the middle of the season, that's not exactly great for, you know, your shooting rhythm and your offensive rhythm and just the general flow of the game. So I think that Michigan State will find a way to to win, but not by very much. I'll I'll just give the Spartans a six-point win.
0: We'll throw in a quick bonus here. I know this is a little bit difficult to predict because obviously they have another game coming up, but we probably won't get in another podcast before that Penn State game, which we don't need to predict scores or anything, but just real quickly is Michigan State going to go 2-0 and over this stretch? I'm going to say no. I like Penn State this year. Jim Ferry, interim coach, in a bad situation. I think he's making the best of that bad situation. Isaiah Brockington, Myron Jones, they have some guys Michigan State needs to worry about a little bit. I don't think they beat Penn State. I know it's a home game, but I just have a
1: feeling that Penn State's going to win that game. They got them last year at the President Center. Yes, yeah, Sloan, I think you're right. If I'm making basketball predictions just based on my knowledge and what I've seen this year, I'm going to pick Penn or not Penn State, Michigan State to go two and zero over the stretch. But it wouldn't surprise me in any capacity if they go one and one or zero and two. Nebraska could beat them and they could beat Penn State. I honestly think these two games are really pretty much coin toss games. I think the Nebraska game's a little bit more in Michigan State's favor, but the Penn State game for me is 50-50.
2: I'm with you, Sloan. I just don't think Michigan State can't, has not shown any ability to string together two good performances in a row, and until they prove they can do that, I'm not going to pick them. So I think that I don't think Michigan State goes 2-0. I think that they split the games between Nebraska and Penn State.
0: Moving away from Michigan State basketball content here on the Impact is own podcast and into a little bit more college basketball podcast or college basketball stuff overall. It's a good time to be a College Hoops fan. The matchups just seem to be getting better and better, not just on Saturdays, but even on like Tuesdays and Thursdays, like that Ohio State-Iowa game, which is tonight, which is Thursday night when we're recording. But – College basketball is heating up, and as so, we're going to have the four-point play with Brendan Shabbat to finish off this episode here.
1: Yeah, you know, this is, I don't really know what to say about the past week of college basketball. I mean, there's the comment saying that, is it anarchy? No, nope, it's just college basketball, and that's what it's been. I mean, I'm just going to take a look. This is a little different four-point play than we're used to. Uh, usually, I look at two games from the past week and two games moving forward. This one's just kind of a lot. Uh, Last night, this is recorded on February 4th, right around 4 p.m. Last night, five unranked teams beat ranked teams, including Villanova and Houston, who were both in the top five. Virginia Tech also lost, a team that I've been high on, Uh, February 2nd, two days ago. uh, Tennessee loses and uh, another team, another ranked team lost. Um, Baylor beat Texas that day pretty handedly. Right now, Baylor and Gonzaga are my final four locks, the first locks I have of the year, 100%. Baylor and Gonzaga will be in the final four. Who else? No idea. Uh, January 30th, there were three ranked upsets, meaning a higher-ranked team beat a lower-ranked team, and four unranked teams beat a ranked team that day. So seven upsets on January 30th. January 29th, Illinois beats Iowa. That was an upset game, a really great game. If you're a college basketball fan, you have to have watched that one. If you didn't go back and watch it, it was a, it was a bloodbath. Um, so a lot of crazy stuff going on last week. Um, and frankly, it upsets me because I don't know who to pick now. There were a lot of teams that I've been really high on that, uh, you know, lost some close games, lost some games. They really should have won. There's so many like 12 and four, 11 and five teams that at one point were top five in the country and are now back at 15th. I mean, Purdue was in the top 25 before they lost they're, they're a seven loss team, you know, and they lost to Maryland who's an eight loss team. So it's just, it's just really crazy right now, a month away from March. The only teams I really like are Gonzaga and Baylor. There's a couple other favorites, but I'm not entirely sure. Moving on to next week uh, on Saturday, Saturday, February 6th, New and Eastern. I really haven't given the SEC a lot of love this year, but this is a really big matchup. These two teams have really stood out. Missouri was primarily unranked most of the year. They're taking on Alabama, Alabama 10-0 and in the SEC. You know, Nate Oates made a name for himself at the start of the year by calling out Coach K uh, for saying the season shouldn't continue. But I think going 10-0 and in your conference to start the season is a pretty good way to make a name for yourself as well um missouri's 12 and 3 their three losses are within the conference they went undefeated in non-conference play that's a really big game for sec implications and i think it's just going to be a great matchup two of those teams could be you know both of those teams could be elite A teams that's a really good team to watch and then also on the same day two and a half hours later uh a big 10 implicating game number 19 wisconsin takes on number 12 illinois that's at 230 illinois has five losses wisconsin has five losses as well Illinois is coming off that big Iowa win. They could pick up a huge resume-building win against Wisconsin, too, here. That would be two really good games for them in a short stretch. And then, because this is four-point play and the basketball fans out there know what a four-point play is, I have an and-one here, first and-one of the year, upset alert, Texas, a team that I've been very high on. I love Texas. I thought they played really well against Baylor for, you know, 25, 28 minutes, and then Baylor kind of ran away with it. They're taking on Oklahoma State, who really just suffered a bad loss to TCU last night. But I think Oklahoma State is one of the better teams in the country. Um, I don't. I'm not sure if the AP is not ranking them because of the fact that they are taking in their own postseason ban this season. So Oklahoma State is not a March implicating team, but they're a really good team to watch. Really fun. Cade uh, Cunningham's going to be a top five pick uh, in the draft lottery coming up this year, but Oklahoma State and Texas are on upset alert. I got Oklahoma State in that one.
0: Not only is Cade Cunningham going to be a top five pick, he's going to be in Piston Blue at this time next year, and Imani Bates the year
1: after that. Let's hope. Let's hope.
0: The other nugget from uh, that, Nate Oates, the pride of Romulus High School in Romulus, Michigan, about 15, 20 minutes from where I grew up. He's gone from Romulus to Buffalo as, as an assistant, to Buffalo as the head coach, and now to Alabama. Maybe he's the successor to Tom Izzo one day. That's a debate for later. But before we wrap things up and Eric goes to Rochester College to officiate and I go to the basement of my apartment building to do laundry, any final words before this stretch for Michigan State coming up?
1: Got to win at least four,
2: at least. Got to win five or six to have a realistic shot at the tournament, in my opinion.
0: Well, this has been the Impact is Own podcast, February 4th, 2021 on this Thursday evening. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, pretty much anywhere you find your podcasts, as well as on impact89fm.org slash sports. Just look under Impact is Own, and all the episodes will be there. Follow the sports department at WDBM on Twitter at WDBM Sports. You can follow all our personal Twitter handles there the three of us constantly doing stuff for the station. So our Twitter handles will pop up on that feed a lot. Listen in Saturday, Brendan and Eric will be delivering that call Michigan state versus Nebraska. But for this episode of impact is Own, we'll see what happens with Michigan state moving forward. Hoping to have Trent back for the next episode, wishing him well, but for Luke Sloan, Brendan Shabath and Eric Bach, that'll be it for this episode. Struggled there of impact is Own.